Ooh, it's good to be with you. Wow. Um, hope you're enjoying the series. Some of it is, uh, is pretty strong stuff. And uh, wow, seven churches. And I think we see ourselves personally as well as, as our church. You know, lots of good things, lots of areas of growth and that kind of thing. Well, I would imagine that all of you have heard over the years stories of people who have said, I believe I died on the table. I believe that I experienced death and was resuscitated or revived. And there are a lot of stories about people like that. And some of them will say, and they talk about the tunnel. And what else do they talk about? The bright light at the end of the tunnel. So I thought, okay, does that really happen? And there have been movies on, you know, made about this. And there have been a lot of people who share testimonies. Books have been written. So I did what I often do. This is what I learned in academia. I Google stuff. No, I didn't learn that in academia. Uh, people who have supposedly died near-death experiences with bright lights and tunnels. Click. Boom. Stuff popped up. And I thought it was pretty cool. So I'm going to share a couple of testimonies with you from people who were at least considered clinically dead, who are among the living again. Okay, here's one. For a while I watched, this is a testimony, for a while I watched on as the nurses and doctors worked quickly to revive me. Then I lost interest and my attention turned toward the long, dark tunnel. At the end of the tunnel was a very bright light and I floated to the opening once inside, I moved with what seemed to be an extraordinary and effortless speed, and I finally reached the light. Ooh, pretty cool. Okay, here's another one. I remember closing my eyes. I am in this long, dark tunnel. It is so cold and so dark. I've never been in a place so cold as this tunnel. I was traveling at the speed of light. Now, how do you know that? Okay, I was traveling at the speed of light, and as I neared the end of the tunnel, I saw the most brilliant yellow light coming toward me. I was beginning to feel warm. The nearer the light got, the warmer I felt. Here's my favorite. In, 19, in 1982, when a fellow from the National Cancer Institute, Dr. Melvin Morse was working in a clinic in Pocatello, Idaho. He was called to revive a young girl who nearly died in a community swimming pool. This little girl had had no heartbeat for 19 minutes, yet completely, she completely recovered. She was able to recount many details of her own resuscitation and then said that she was taken down a brick-lined tunnel to a heavenly place. When Dr. Morris showed his obvious skepticism, she patted him on the hand, and she said, Don't worry, Dr. Morris. Heaven is really fun. So that was pretty cool to hear that, wasn't it? You know, the other thing you read is you read about these people who had these, these kinds of experiences. They, they say two things were impressed upon them when they came back. Number one, 
I've been given a second chance. And for some, that is a wonderful thing. I've been given a second chance. Others will say something like this. This was a major wake-up call in my life. Wake-up call. How many of you have had a wake Don't raise your hand. But have you had a wake-up call recently? You know, when I was thinking about this idea of a wake-up call, it took me back to many, many years ago. I'm one of six kids. I shared a room with two brothers. And I thought about how my mom used to wake us up in the morning. Let me tell you what she didn't do. She didn't gently walk into my room, sit down on the corner of the bed, gently stroke my hair, and say, hey, honey, it's time to get up. Make sure you get dressed. I love you. Made your favorite breakfast. <laughs> that never happened in my life, okay? <laughs> Ever. That's probably how my daughters wake up their kids, but mm-mm. It was kind of the other side of the spectrum. Flip on the lights. You know, you feel like you're looking directly into the sun. Don't you boys put, put your, pull your covers over your head. Come on, get up, get up. And clean this mess up. I just stepped on three toys, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. That's probably more common for many people. Wake-up calls are not necessarily fun. They can be jolting. They can be very emotional. Wake-up call, the very reason why we use that term I just had a serious wake-up call, is it kind of rocked us. Sometimes we need to be rocked, don't we? Sometimes we've become very passive, very lethargic. We've drifted in our walk with Jesus. And God says, it's wake-up call time. Something happens, you know. Often when it's a wake-up call from him, we perceive that, you know, life's just hard, life's just bad. Somebody, maybe even God's being mean. Now, sometimes it's a wake-up call. And, you know, God not only gives individuals wake-up calls, he not only at times gives families wake-up calls, sometimes he gives churches wake-up calls. And that is what occurred with the fifth. There are seven churches we're looking at. Revelation 2 and 3, the fifth church, the church at Sardis, that was his intent with them. Wake up call. Let me go ahead and start reading. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. It'll be up on the screen as well. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And again, these are the words of the risen, resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. 
But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that person before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven spirits, what's that referring to? Seven spirits, they think, is a reference to the seven angels. Isn't it interesting that every church that is addressed to the angel, there's an angel that's present, and as Kondo shared a number of weeks ago, it seems like maybe every church has an angel. That's a pretty cool thought, isn't it? The stars refer to the churches themselves. Now here's the rebuke. I mean, this is quite a rebuke. Here is what Jesus is saying to the church at Sardis. He says, church, you are a cemetery disguised as a church. Do you see what he says? I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation. It's as though Jesus is saying you're fooling others that you're fine. You're not. You might even be fooling yourself that you're fine. You're not. You're spiritually dead, is his point. Wow. You know what that tells me? That tells me that churches can kind of play the game. Churches can kind of go through the motions. Churches can, you know, give the appearance. Maybe they have beautiful buildings and, and you know, even a significant number of people that attend. And yet churches can play the game and yet be dead. Isn't that sad? It's very true. You know, I think I've shared with you somewhere along the line, some of you, that Kathy and I have only been coming to Mission Point for about six months, and we love it because this church is alive. Praise God. This church is alive. Far from perfect, Kondo and all the rest of us would say, but alive. People are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. People in this church, many of you, are on mission And you understand that your role and responsibility is to lovingly proclaim and show Jesus Christ to people who don't know him. That's fantastic. Many, many good things are happening at this church, and I'm so grateful. But do you think that's automatic? Do you think that's guaranteed for a church that is alive? Well, let's go 10, 15, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. I'm I'm sure you'll be fine. Let me tell you what I've seen. Well, I've seen a lot of monuments to dead churches. I've had a chance to go to Europe quite a bit, but I see them all over the United States as well. You know, there are churches that I'm aware of, and I have many, many, many pastor friends. There are churches I'm aware of that 10 years ago they were alive. They no longer exist. 20 years ago they were vibrant. They no longer exist. 30 years ago they were dynamic. 
preaching the gospel, seeing people saved, seeing families transformed, lives transformed. And now they have 10 people who come. There are some beautiful churches that are now restaurants. There are some beautiful church buildings that are now office spaces. Because something along the line went wrong. Tragically, many of them, something immoral happened, something very divisive happened. In some cases, the word of God was no longer held as inerrant, as infallible, as inspired by God. It was no longer central. And not only have those churches drifted and compromised, some of them have died. Cemeteries disguised as churches. It can happen. Could it happen the mission point even? It could. And by God's grace, may that never, ever be the case. Jesus goes on, and he continues to speak very strongly to this church, but he gives them a solution. Second thought that I have is, is this rebuke. I'm calling it a rebuke from the righteous, righteous judge. Look at verse two, 2 with me again. He says, wake up. Wake up. Some very key words that I've emboldened and italicized. These are all verbs. These are all commands to the church. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come as a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. I think these three words are so critical because here's what's so beautiful about this. Jesus tells this church, you're dead, but you can be resuscitated. That's beautiful. You can be alive again. It can happen. And then he gives three really key instructions. He says, strengthen the good things you're already doing. Strengthen the good things you're already doing. In other words, I'm not saying everything's terrible, but take what you're doing and strengthen it and breathe new life in that again or ask the Spirit of God to breathe new life in it again. That's what you need. Strengthen what you're already doing. You're doing some good things. In fact, the reason why you have a, quote, good reputation around as a church is because you're at least doing some things, but they need to be strengthened is his point. Then he uses this beautiful term, remember. Remember is a very key and important word throughout all of Scripture. God often admonished Old Testament leaders and believers and his people to remember. And he says here, remember. You know, one thing that, that happened when I pastored, I, we love testimony time, you know, uh, communion and other things we do. Let's share what God's doing in our lives. Let, let's, and, and many of you in missional communities do that. What's God doing in your life? And you know what I found happened, and I could never, I was, I was always nice about this, but we had people who sh always shared the same thing that happened 20 years ago. Oh, have I ever told you about when God did this 20 years ago? And everybody's like, mm-mm. 
mm, I am, mm. you know, but we don't want to hurt their feelings. So you hear it again. And you know what I want to say? What did God do this month? What did God do? Let's just go back a year, okay? What did you see God doing? Much more recently. I've heard people say things like this, you know, um, I can remember five years ago before our child was born, before this happened, before work got crazy. I can remember, I used to set my alarm. I'd get up early, early. I mean, early for me, like 6 o'clock in the morning, okay? I'm like, preach it. I love early morning. And I actually had this devotional, and I would read my Bible, and God would speak to me. And they said it was so amazing because it's something I actually looked forward to. And as part of a small group, whether a group of about four or five of us, we'd meet together, we'd pray with each other. Those, that, they become some, became some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. Still meet with them? No. A couple of guys had to travel a lot for work, and we just kind of quit. I remember when we used to work with the youth. Yeah, that was about 10 years ago. We used to work with the teens. And I loved working with them. They got so excited about so many things. A lot of them were just so fired up about being a testimony for Jesus in their school. And we prayed for them, and we encouraged them, and we did fun things together. I said, you don't do that anymore? No, we quit that. Life just got too crazy, too busy. Let's remember. (laughs) Let's remember some of those times in our walk with Jesus, some of those mountain time Deep, deep growth times in our lives. And for many of us, it's because we were doing things that we're not doing anymore. And God was using us, and God was blessing us, and God was teaching us. And that relationship with Jesus was warm and vibrant and exciting. And sometimes we're not there, haven't been there three years, five years, it's been a while because we're not remembering to do some of those things. Amen? That can be the case. And then he said, he gives a third, and it's just the word repent. Repent. I mean, call sin what God calls it. That's maybe part of the, a good definition of repent. And then actually the root idea of repent is I'm going this way I repent when I do this, and I go this way. Repentance is me saying, no more. Forgive me, Lord. I'm going in a different direction. Repent. You know, I've noticed that churches don't necessarily have to be dead or dying or on death's door to receive wake-up calls from the Lord. I'll tell you a story. Kind of mentioned that I pastored, planted a church, pastored a church. 1982 is when I went there. Came to Grace in 2002 to work at, at Grace. So we started with a handful of people. The church was growing. We bought some land. And in 1988, we built a building. It was beautiful. We built a beautiful building, 20,000 square foot, our first building. And it was awesome. But you know what I was noticing? Some people were falling in love with the building. <laughs> You know, they'd see a little kid walking in with a juice box. Don't come into our sanctuary. You know, people were kind of possessive about the building. (laughs) And maybe just 
a little too important. August 27th, 1989, 18 months after we dedicated our beautiful new building, church building, I got to call at 8 in the morning. Our, our service started at 9.30. 8 in the morning, Sunday morning, a frantic person, my good friend Tom, who did all the sound for the church, said, Jeff, come quickly. Our sanctuary has been burned by arsonists. I said, call the fire department. And he did. So I jumped in my car and I came. And I opened the doors of the sanctuary and black smoke billows out. And everything is just black. And the pulpit and the communion table and everything on the platform was gone. And the fire department had already beaten me there. They were there, and they were just immediately saying, probably arson, probably arson. Now, the good news was is the arsonists didn't open the windows in the sanctuary, so it kind of eventually smoldered out because then the entire church probably would have gone up in flames. That Sunday morning, I decided, I felt the Spirit of God really laid upon my heart as I stood in the entryway of the church and people are coming, that it was so important that we go ahead and meet. I'm like, we're not canceling church this morning. We need to meet. Because what was happening as people were coming over, as you can imagine, people were upset. A lot of people were crying. A lot of people were angry. A lot of people said, I feel so violated. How in the world could somebody do that to a church? And I felt like I needed to be very pastoral and, and, and say, I know, I know, this is so difficult and so hard. And I asked several of the men in the church who were there, I said, would you grab all the folding chairs? Because right across the street from the church one of our, was one of our deacons and they had this beautiful, per- perfectly mowed lawn <laughs> that was just immaculate. And I said, let's set up chairs on their lawn and we're going to have church this morning. And so they were doing that, and I was just encouraging people, please don't go home. I think we need to be together this morning as a church family. And so people were filling in these chairs, and God just, I really believe the Spirit of God said, new message. I know you're going to preach that sermon. I got a new one for you. I'm like, okay. And he told me, not audibly, but I believe he impressed upon me what it was. So we shared, we sang, we had a couple guitars, we sang, we shared, people cried, we prayed. And here's my message. The building is not the church. We are the church. I call that wake-up call lesson number one for our church. At the end of the week, two young men, two 19-year-old young men were apprehended charged, found guilty, and sentenced to seven years in prison for arson. Fast forward six years and 11 months, and I get a letter from one of the young men. His name is Johnny. And I start reading this letter. Dear Pastor Gill, I want you to know that two years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that this amazing chaplain who comes here every week loved me, showed me Jesus, and I gave my life to Jesus. 
I am going to be getting out in one month. God has so laid on my heart that I need to stand before your congregation and ask them to forgive me for what I did. So four weeks, actually it was about five weeks later, he had been out for a week, I get a phone call. This is Johnny. Can we have breakfast together at Bob Evans? I'm like, absolutely. So I walk in, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I walk into Bob Evans and I look across the room and there's this young man in a business suit. He just looked like a young businessman. He jumps up, this is in the middle of Bob Evans, jumps up, runs to me and just wraps his arms around me and starts to bawl. So I'm standing, thankfully, hugging, I'm, 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 I'm cool with hugging for the most part in most contexts. And I'm just holding him and patting him, and he's just, just bawling, and I'm just kind of patting him on the back. So finally, he kind of composed himself. I said, let's go sit down and, and get some breakfast. So he starts talking to me, and he's like talking 100 miles an hour, and this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And what blew my mind, it's like I didn't talk for 45 minutes, which is a rarity with me. Those of you who know me is like, and I'm just listening, and I'm just like, because every other sentence is a scripture verse or a passage. And you know what it says in Isaiah 23, 1? And I'm like, it does. You know? <laughs> and he goes, and you know, over in Colossians, and he wasn't trying to impress me. It's scripture was flowing out of this guy. And I'm just like, what in the world? This is unbelievable. So finally, when he stopped and took a breath, I said, John, wait, wait. How in the world do you know so much scripture? He said, you know, when I gave my life to Jesus, the chaplain said, here's a Bible, read it every day as much as you can. I've been reading six to eight hours a day for the last two years. And I'm like, Phew. because there's not a whole lot else to do around here. I said, I am just so proud of you and so blown away by what Jesus has done in your life. So we, we just had such a cool time together. And it, we were wrapping up, and he looks at me. I mean, I'll never forget this. He looks at me, and he goes, so can I? Can I come to your church and ask for forgiveness? He said, I need to so desperately. I said, Johnny, I've been thinking about that. I said, I'm currently preaching through the book of Ephesians. And I said, I'm in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. And two weeks from this coming Sunday... I'm preaching on one verse. Here it is. And be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 4:32. I want you there that Sunday. He said, "I will be there." So fast forward about two and a half weeks. Sunday morning, church is getting ready to start. And right as we were starting, down the side aisle comes, this, comes Johnny, suit and tie, looking super sharp. He walks in and he slips in one of the aisles on the side. So I get up and I do my thing and I'm talking about this passage and forgiveness and all this kind of stuff. And then I'm, I'm ready to close my, my message. And I look out this congregation. We had, I don't know, 300 people, 400 people, whatever it was. And I, I said, hey, before I wrap up, question. How many of you were here seven years ago when we had the arson 
and when this entire sanctuary was destroyed, many, many hands go up. I said, one of the young men, who was one of the arsonists, just got out of prison seven years last week, and he's here this morning. Johnny, would you come up to the platform? So Johnny comes up. It was like, quiet. And Johnny comes up, and he stands behind the pulpit. And I said, Johnny's going to share with you what Jesus has done in his life. He starts bawling. He starts sharing his testimony. It was, it was amazing. And he only shared for five or six minutes. And I was standing right next to him. He was here. I was here. I was standing right next to him. So he kind of ra- he's wrapping up his testimony, and he goes, so I need you, please, to forgive me for what I did, for what I did to your church, for what I did to the name of Christ. I need you to forgive me. And so I'm standing right next to him, and I put my arm around him. I said, Johnny needs to hear with his ears that we forgive him. I said, I forgive him. I said, so on the count of three, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Johnny, I forgive you. And if you're with me on that, do it with me. One, two, three. Bah! Johnny, I forgive you. Resounding. It was incredible. It was powerful. Fast forward to Thursday, four or five days later of that week. Kathy and I got our little local paper the Delaware Gazette, think of the Times Union, all 12 or 13 or 14 pages. That's the Delaware Gazette. Front page, Thursday, Delaware Gazette, bold, large font article, front page. Grace Brethren Church forgives arsonist. Somebody from our church, Monday morning, made a beeline to our little newspaper office and said, you need to know what happened at the Grace Brethren Church yesterday. And there's the story. Wake up call number two. Number one, number one was building's not the church, we're the church. Number two was no matter how painful and grievous the offense is, Christ followers forgive. Christ followers forgive. It's what we do. And I think of not because of our (laughs) intent, but I think of the power of the testimony of our church. That went into a newspaper. The power, oh, you're the church that forgave the arsonist. Yeah. I love the fact that our church became known as the church that forgave the arsonist. Pretty amazing. You see, wake-up calls aren't only just for dying churches or dead churches because God knows, my brothers and sisters, that very alive churches can begin to drift. We can begin to get off track. We can begin to lose our passion and our fervor for what matters most to Jesus, what breaks his heart, and what brings him glory. And my sense, and as I've observed the church, for, the church in general for years, is often the more we grow, the more of a tendency there is 
to not keep the main thing the main thing. And yes, that's the responsibility of leadership and that's responsibility of elders and others, but that's all our responsibility. So sometimes God brings wake-up calls, certainly into our lives personally, but also into the life of a church, even when that's a healthy church. I want to give you a third thought. Actually, let me stand my second one. Um, I'll go ahead and jump to my third thought. We're good. We're good. This is what happens when you don't look at your notes. You forget where you are. Um, There is a third thought that I want to share with you. This is found in verses 4 and 5, and that's God's promise. It's a promise for the faithful, for God's faithful people. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, yet you have a, keyword, few. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. I believe that he's referring to the, what we call the millennial kingdom, the earthly kingdom, when Jesus returns and he sets up and rules and reigns on the earth. And what it's saying here, the few are the true believers. That's who the few are in the church of Sardis. So many of them were not, but there was a handful, there was a remnant, we would say, who were faithful to Jesus. And he's saying, here's your inheritance Here's your future. And and look at a couple things that he says. These are just absolutely beautiful and amazing. He refers to them. He says to them, first of all, that you will be acclaimed by Jesus. You will be acclaimed by Jesus. You will walk with him. You'll be dressed in white. And you will be worthy. (laughs) You know, when I read my Bible now, during this age, the church age, the, the time that we're in, because we're Sinners, right? We're fallen, we're redeemed, but we're sinners. I don't see very often in Scripture in this life that I'm called worthy. Usually it's, we're not worthy, right? We are not worthy to be called sons and daughters of God, to be inheritors of his kingdom. And at that time we are, we're worthy. And it's not because anything we've done, right? It's because of the righteousness of Christ, It's the righteousness of Christ that we are worthy. He also tells us here, this is such an interesting phrase. He talks about the the fact that the few are assured of eternal life. As you might imagine, this phrase, um, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, has been the discussion of a lot of theological, scholarly Uh, individuals there's a book of life yeah last couple chapters of the book revelation talks about the book of life and blessed is the one whose name is written in the book of life that's the book for all true secure eternally secure christians believers in christ the book of life and he says here, your name will not be blotted out of it. And where the contra- controversy is, well, could it be or couldn't be? And, and how does that all work? And, and once you're secure in Christ, once you're born again, once you're a child of God, and once you're a new creature of Christ, will you always be saved? 
Is there security and assurance in that salvation if it's a genuine salvation? And I personally believe, as many do, that the answer to that is yes. The answer to that is yes. I want to give you a little mini, uh, just very quickly, little mini teaching on our security as believers. A couple verses up on the screen. John 6, verses 38 and 39. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my will, words of Jesus, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who have been given to me, but raise them up on the last day. John 10, this is that beautiful passage about the fact that he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wow, that's beautiful. And then Paul writes in Ephesians 1, again, just amazing verses. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, key word here, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So I believe that that's telling us that we're secure. If we are truly children of God, we're secure. Don't take advantage of that forgiveness, though. Amen? Live with passion for him. And then finally, the few are acknowledged by the Father before my fathers and his angels. You know, I read this, and I'll tell you what comes to my mind. It's like we go to heaven. I mean, this sounds a little flippant, and I don't mean to be flippant with this, but it's like God just says, he's with me. (laughs) Oh, she's with me. Have you ever had somebody say that where you go somewhere and you're kind of, you're not the member? <laughs> you're not the recognized one. People say, no, no, let him through. He's with me. Come on. He's hanging with me. He's with me. That's what this is saying. She's with me, Jesus says. He's with me. Isn't that cool? We're with him. I'm with Jesus. Before the angels even, we're told. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come out before we close uh, with our last song. I I just want to just say a word or two about wake-up calls. Wake-up calls occur for the children of God. Wake-up calls occur at times for churches that may be alive and vibrant but may be starting to drift. Wake-up calls are an essential part of the work of the Spirit. You know, if you personally, let me get personal if I may, uh, instead of talking about the whole church, but just you, just me, us personally. Do you need to strengthen, strengthen some of the things that are good in your life as a Christian? You're here this morning. Thank you for coming to church. That's a good thing. And maybe there's some other things that you continue to be involved in. But maybe you need to focus on the remember too. Remember. Remember that season. 
when it just felt like your walk with Christ was so much more dynamic, so much more vibrant, you were so much more engaged. I wonder if some of those things are things you need to start doing again. And maybe, my friends, there's sin. I mean, let's call it what God calls it, sin. Sometimes there's sin in our lives. And God's most significant call to our sin is that we repent. We call our sin what God calls it, and we consciously determine to turn from it and walk in righteousness. That's repentance. Maybe this morning that's what God is prompting you to do. October 28th, 2018, maybe it's a wake-up call today for you. Not, not in some super dramatic way, but just in your own heart. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads if you would. And just let the Holy Spirit for a moment just speak to you. Maybe identify some things you need to be doing or some things you need to stop doing. amazing Father, we uh, are humbled that you are the God of of the second chance, that you are the God of forgiveness, that you are the God who when we even really blow it you forgive, you restore and you grow us up into the image of Christ so Father this morning I pray for these dear ones, these brothers and sisters in Christ, that whatever you're saying to them, if they're at a point where their walk with you feels pretty stale, not too exciting, not vibrant, that whatever you are calling them to do, Father, that they would respond with obedience, with passion, and out of a deep devotion and love for you. Holy Spirit, work. Work in me. Work in each one of us. For the glory and name of Jesus, we pray. And ask the elders and uh, missional community leaders, if they would come forward, because this morning as we sing before we close, maybe you would just benefit from a time of sharing or being prayed for by someone from the church. God bless you.